Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Zora Artis about being an effective board member and risk oversight. Zora is the chair of the International Association of Business Communicators, IABC, on the Asia-Pacific Regional Board. She was formerly on the IABC International Executive Board from 2016 to 2019 and the IABC Victorian Chapter Board from 2012 to 2016, including a stint as president from 2013 to 15. Zora is the CEO of Artis Advisory, a strategic advisory practice focused on helping clients succeed, whether it's solving a business problem or leveraging opportunities through better organisational alignment, engagement and communication. Zora has almost three decades of experience in business, marketing, communication, advertising and branding. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Zora. Thank you, Helen. So, Zora, before we explore being an effective board member and risk, I'd like to explore a little bit more about you. Can you tell me something that you're proud of from the last month or so? In the last month, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I've stepped off the International Executive Board at the IABC and I've stepped into the role of Chair for Asia Pacific. So it's it's been a month of lots of activity, lots of goodbyes, lots of hellos, all that sort of thing. There's also been a, a whole new board for Asia Pacific. So I have nine new board members out of 13 and bringing them on board, doing the induction process with them. I also um, had the opportunity to present at the IABC World Conference in Vancouver where we had 1,400 delegates from 42 countries attending 
and I ran a three-hour session on being a strategic advisor with 100 senior professionals and that was an incredible experience. It was lots of fun and um, I was really pleased to be doing that. How fantastic to be able to share your wisdom in that way internationally Mm. as well. It was really good because we had quite a lot of senior people in the room and interestingly people are really looking at how can they deliver better value to their organisations through what they do? How can they bring the executives along and make them more aligned, focused on on their real purpose and values as well as the goals of the organisation mm. so they can actually work better from a cross-functional perspective? So is there a particular moment or something in that workshop with those 100 people that stands out for you? Well, the opening was interesting because I was trying to bring home uh, the point of alignment and do it in a creative way. So the opening was me playing We Will Rock You by Queen at Wembley Stadium, extremely loud, just the audience at the video. And interestingly enough, the um, executive board was having their meeting, the new board was having their meeting just down the hall, so I was trying to disturb them, which is quite funny. During that uh, song going off, the people in the audience just started clapping, tapping their feet. I danced on stage. So, yeah, it was... was pretty fun. (laughs) Fantastic. It's not often you get somebody dancing on stage for that, but that music is so addictive. So fantastic. I mean, the whole point was everyone knew, everyone came together. So they all knew what their role was. So the alignment piece was perfect. It was a metaphor for it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't sing. (laughs) Fantastic. Have you got any video of that? Have you dancing on stage? No, there are photos though. Ah, I might have to steal one of them and share it. Perhaps not. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been involved with the International Association of Business Communicators. That's quite a mouthful. That's why we have an acronym. And it might not be with this group, it might be with another. But can you tell me about your earliest experience of governance? The earliest experience goes back to um, my time at the Warwick Cancer Foundation, which was a not-for-profit a couple of years prior to IABC. And I joined that board as as a board director and that's where I first experienced governance, you know, properly run board meetings, um, board papers, preparing for meetings, all of that sort of thing, the agendas and minutes and et cetera, et cetera. So they did it well and that was the very first time I encountered that. The International Association of Business Communicators, Mm. can you give us a nutshell about what the organisation is about so people know what it is you're involved in? The IABC is a non-profit membership-based association for business communicators, which means communicators who work across a whole range of disciplines. It could be marketing, it could be corporate affairs, PR, change communications, internal communications, employee comms, that sort of thing, across a whole range of different sectors. It's, it's global. We're in 70 countries. We have 100 chapters. We have over 700 volunteer leaders across those chapters, 10,000 paid members and a community of more than 50,000. So we're 50 years old next year. We started earlier in different guises before that, but um, most of the members are located in North America and the third largest cohort is in Australia. The local chapter here in Melbourne, uh, IBC Victoria, is the fifth largest in the world. It's a very energetic community. People who are in IABC feel like they're part of a tribe. It's the most incredible sense of belonging that I've ever seen. I could, as an IABC member, I could call anybody anywhere who's a member in the world without knowing them and say, I have an issue with X. 
you're in that space. What are your thoughts on that? Would you be able to help me? And they will. They'll give you time. So if you're connected to someone on LinkedIn, I dare say that wouldn't happen. Mm, Whereas a- with IABC, it does. And we're pretty much looking at how communication can be a force for good in business and in society. It's interesting in a membership organisation, there's lots of membership organisations around, but not many have that real connection that you're describing for IABC. So it's a real credit to the organisation that that is created. And in fact, I'd be interested then, Is do you think there's something in the governance of the organisation that really supports that engagement with the membership? Well, everything we do looks at decisions from the perspective of the member. So the membership is our key stakeholder. So when we're looking at the sustainability of the organisation, when we're looking at risk, we look at what would our stakeholders accept. So decisions are made with that lens. And is it delivering on um, true value to the members? Is it delivering for the sustainability of the organisation? Is the way we operate, is that the best way we can actually operate? Is there a different model we could look at? There's a whole range of different things that we take into account. From a governance perspective at Global, we're very, very good at that. We have a governance manager. We follow governance principles, non Profit government principles, US-based, which are different to Australia. Mm -hmm. Not as stringent as Australia, Um, (laughs) nevertheless, uh, but they do follow them. And we do have uh, best practice principles that we then share with all our chapters and regions to try and ensure that they also follow those. I'm on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital and we, you know, it's patient-centred care and consumer-centred care. So whether you're a membership organisation or not, keeping those stakeholders, whoever your key stakeholders might be, being front of mind is really important. And it sounds like it's something that IABC is doing magnificently. We do do it well. We also need to think more broadly as well, because not everyone in our membership base, or should I say, there are more people that are part of the community that aren't members. So we do take into account the non-members as well. Mm. So because we are looking at how do we give back to the profession, how do we advance the profession globally? So we take on board that leadership role at a global scale and look at that as well. So one of our core pillars is advancing the profession. And of course, they're all your potential members. Of course. You talked about through that membership lens or stakeholder lens, keeping them at the forefront of everything you do. And you talked about risk in there. And I know risk oversight is something you wanted to talk about today. What are some of the things that you've seen at IABC that have worked well and maybe some of the things that have not worked so well? Mm. It was probably a year before I started on the board. There was a gap between when I finished on the Victorian chapter board and joining the global board. I worked as the chair for the policy and governance committee. So IBC has a lot of committees that are outside the board and there's usually a board member who's um, a liaison in mm-hmm. some fashion. Yep. And that involved me reviewing um, with the committee, reviewing the policy framework for IABC, how everything's done, the bylaws, etc., and looking at what change needed to be done for the board to approve that and, if necessary, take to the AGM for approval. But one of the things that was really key was that the chair at the time asked me to look at how we can introduce better risk oversight into the organisation. So we had an audit committee. We didn't have an audit and risk committee. We didn't have a risk committee. Mm-hmm. So IBC at that point, although they did 
take risk into account when they were making decisions. They didn't have a risk appetite statement. They didn't do risk tolerance. So all those things are, you know, we should be doing and we're taught to do when we do the company director's course hadn't been happening. So I was involved in putting together the onboarding kit for incoming board members because I was a certified company director. So they looked to me and said, so what would you recommend we do? So that's what I did with them. And then the following year, I was, I was asked to step in and nominate for the board, for the global board. So for quite a while, I was the only certified board director on that board. An onboarding kit, you talked about that. What is that? It's all the things that, you know, you're looking at. We, we start that process a few months before the directors join the board. So because we already know who they're going to be, they've gone through the AGM, et cetera, so the slate's been approved. So we will go through that process of introducing them to what we expect of them as directors, all the usual things with regards to board papers, how they need to be prepared so many days in advance, all that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. how they need to be read before the meetings, you know, to take note of stuff that's actually for noting or for discussion or decision, et cetera, et cetera, to be aware that we have a consensus portion of the meeting, board meeting, consensus agenda. So anything that's for noting is under consensus and you can pull those things out if you've got issues with it, that sort of stuff. So all those expectations are covered off in there. Over the last few years, the audit committee became the Audit and Risk Committee. I joined that committee and was chair of the committee for a year and then was a member of the committee after that. That was a process where we looked at introducing a proper risk framework to the board and my last, at the last board meeting, what I did was run a session to define the risk appetite for the board. So that was my outgoing Take us through that process of how you introduced both the risk framework to the board and I'd be really interested to hear how the board developed their risk appetite statement. There was a paper that we had to write way at the beginning. This is before I even joined the Audit and Risk Committee uh, and because of my interest in risk and governance, uh, I helped pull that paper together and then I managed to get a... um, two-hour time slot for one of our face-to-face meetings and we have two face-to-face meetings globally and they run over a couple of days. And in that session, we looked at risk tolerances. What would we tolerate? What from and to and all that sort of stuff in a number of different areas. And that really opened up people's eyes to what risk is about and how they take that on board. And we just continued with that process, driving that home. And then we actually asked from head office perspective as well as every single committee and each board liaison and each chair of each committee was involved in identifying risks for their specific areas and then that came back to the audit and risk committee and we pulled that together into a framework presented it back to the board and then the board worked through it and we looked at all those risks that you know you could classify as high, high or high, medium or medium, high, that sort of stuff and basically looked at what we call red, yellow and green and follow that through and uh, each year we would address that twice a year and look at that and then we said, okay, so the next step now is this is why we need a risk appetite statement. 
Mm. So I went through that experience. But we looked at things like, um, you know, in the past, for example, if there were scenarios that a board decision was made on, if we looked at that and we had this risk lens on it, what sort of decision could have been made without looking at who made that decision or was there blame or anything like that? That wasn't the point. It was like, if this is a scenario, what decision would you make if you had Mm. framework in place? Because it didn't exist then. Did that result in some what would have been slightly different decisions or even vastly different decisions? It would have been a massively different decision. Interesting. Completely different decisions. Are you able to give us some examples of what some of the risks are? The red are the big risks for you, right? Mm. Can you give us some examples of what some of the big risks would have been for you? Probably not in detail, but for example, IT. IT could be a massive risk. So cyber risk is obviously an issue, but for example... It's a membership-based organisation. It's global. GDPR coming into Europe and impacting privacy and how you communicate with people on a database mm. or in any, any way or form because they control their data has a massive impact because that meant that you had to completely change your whole approach to communicating with your members and your non-members and you pretty much have to clean your whole database. Yeah. And so you're going to lose a lot of people all of a sudden. So you're going to have a a shorter pipeline or or smaller pipeline. So the likelihood of that potentially happening in other parts of the world is is reasonably high. So from a compliance perspective, if you don't follow those rules, you're potentially got major issues financially, Mm. reputational strategic. It all comes to the fore. People in Australia wouldn't necessarily think about GDPR. Yeah, absolutely. Only if you're an international organisation like yours. If you're a brand that deals with any potential customer that is based in Europe, you're impacted by Mm. it. And the cost to you is massive. With risks like that, whether it's, you know, the data protection rules or others that are on your risk framework, I think you mentioned that it comes back to the board twice a year, the risk framework for review, and also you talked about how you kind of retrofitted, for want of a better word, some of that scenarios around what the risk framework would have meant for those decisions. What about for the future, into the future? How is it built in and embedded in the work of your board so when board papers are put forward for decision or discussion, risk is addressed on those each time. So it's now just part of the process. I just want to spend a couple of minutes on being an effective board member, but before we move on to that, is there anything else about risk that you really wanted to... Because that risk oversight is such a key role for board members. Is there anything else you wanted to outline in relation to that? I think it's important to understand that it's risk oversight, so you're not actually managing all aspects of the risk because you need to identify what what is your role and what is the role of the management and the staff in the organisation. So you need to be quite clear about that, that process. And so in relation to being an effective board member, mm. what are your tips there? You know, if you're joining a board, you have a responsibility as a board director and part of that is to ensure that you're prepared for the board meetings. So being prepared for the board meetings is is ensuring that you've read all the board papers. As a 
board director if you if you are presenting something to the board either for noting discussion or decision to make sure that you've followed the process that needs to be followed and have written the board paper in an appropriate way so with the relevant information for someone to be able to pick that up, read it and be able to make a decision or, or have a discussion about it. That doesn't mean having a 100-page document because that doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. And having that done in a timely fashion, so making sure that it's submitted far enough in advance. So there would be standard processes or procedures um, at different boards for that. So making sure that you're following that and giving yourself enough time to do that. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is in the actual meetings is to ensure that you're quite comfortable being able to offer your opinion. And by offering your opinion, I mean it's one that you've, as I said, you've had to have prepared for the meeting. So it's not just an opinion. It's actually, you know, something where it's evidence-based and you can actually put forth your opinion and say why you don't agree with something or you agree with it and what else would you suggest? Mm. So I think the probing aspect is really, really critical. So being comfortable to be uncomfortable, even if you're disagreeing with everyone else in the room. Yeah, absolutely. It's a key task for board members to speak up and say what's on their mind, even if you're not sure if it's on other people's mind, or even especially if you're not sure if it's on other people's mind. So it's a great tip to have that courage to be uncomfortable. If you do see in a meeting, if you do see that there is some someone else feeling uncomfortable about something, I think it's important to actually have a chat to them or make people aware that there is there is mm. something going on. Because sometimes you can see that just by facial expressions, someone just doesn't feel right about something. It could be just their their personality or whatever. But it might be something that's quite valid and might contribute to the discussion or conversation and it's not about having one person be the dominant person mm. in the room. Yeah, calling others out on that as well just to find out what's on their mind, yeah. Mm. That's not just the chair's role, it's the role of everybody in the room. Can you think of a time that courage to be uncomfortable, can you think of a time? <laughs> yeah, my first board meeting at the Global. Can you tell us about that? Mm. There was someone who was being cut off who was speaking and uh, I made sure that they weren't being cut off. I stopped the meeting. And in the future, things ran a little bit more smoothly after you'd made that intervention? I was the one that they said, I don't know if anyone's going to pose a question or be the one who's going to confront or whatever, it'll be Zora. So... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so you were that person in the room. I, I'm that person in the room, yeah. So Which is great. I don't do it to be uh, rude or make everyone feel uncomfortable. I, I do it because I think it's, a, it's important that everyone does have a voice and uh, it's also important that if, if you have a question, you should ask it. You've chaired boards before as mm. well. So you've been a member of the board and you've chaired the board. That skill in being able to look around the table and ask people what they think is key for chair but also important in other board members. But what do you see is the – when you've chaired meetings versus just, just inverted commas, been at the meeting, what do you see is the difference in roles? I think the chair has to have that ability to be able to sense the room to – or if it's a virtual meeting, the virtual meeting – to have a sense of what people – how they're feeling and what they're thinking – Mm-hmm. So the chair has to have that relationship with each person and make an effort to actually 
understand each individual and where they're thinking and what basically um, could potentially be going through their mind about a particular issue. So that's interesting. I'm wondering at your first board meeting where you intervened in some way to ensure that people in the room had their say, did the chair check in with you later? The chair and I got along really, really well. So I think he did give me one of those looks. But no, he, um, no he's absolutely fine and he's, we get along incredibly well. And often one of those looks, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing for when having those robust conversations are a lot harder to have, but they're better to have. So whilst it might be uh, a bit more difficult to chair that type of meeting, it ends up being a much more valuable meeting. Mm. If this were a board meeting, the conversation that we just had, and uh, you were chairing the meeting, how might you summarise it? What are some of the key things you want people to take away? Be prepared for the board meeting. Definitely make sure that you understand what's being put forward to the board for decision or for discussion. Also make sure that when you are prepared, that means that you do understand what sort of questions you might ask, understand the different types of risk that are important in making the decision, what's the lens that you're putting across across the decision and think about the what are the consequences of what you're actually doing and have you got the stakeholders at heart and also, so not just shareholders but stakeholders, mm at heart and uh, think about the relationships that are happening in the room, the well-being of the people in the room to make sure that everyone feels quite comfortable about the discussion that's happening and if there is disagreement, that's okay and ultimately the decision is a, a shared decision. So even if you did disagree with it, at the end of the day, it's the decision that the board makes and you support it outside of that room. And again, if this were a board meeting and you're putting together the action sheet, what might be some actions you would suggest for people to take around either the risk oversight area or being an effective board member? I think it's important to read as much as you can uh, in terms of like, say, company directors have quite a lot of information that comes out, Governance Institute, that sort of thing. But there are other areas as well where you can look at how boards a run and how you can be a better board member. Listening to this podcast is a, is a key thing as well. Also, being brave and curious is, is important. So curiosity is, is making sure that you're open to learning from all sorts of areas. So being across what is happening, what are the trends. So at the moment, if you look at boards and where the trends are going, everyone's talking about AI, for example, how's that going to impact how boards run? People are looking at culture. So they're looking at a whole range of different types of things that traditionally, you know, might not have necessarily been within the the expected parameters of a board, but they're, they're definitely there. And also thinking about how can you develop your skills a bit further, going out and doing that certification program or doing the additional study uh, I think that's really important to make sure that you are better at what you do. I remember I was, when I was at IABC Victoria, I took on the role as the board chair or board president at the time. And partway through, I had finished my company director's course. And then I completely changed how we operated <laughs> because I realised that I, I thought I had had the knowledge 
And then I went and did that and then I thought, oh, no, 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 I need to to change what we do. So I completely changed it from that point and that's when I became the governance geek. I love it. I love a good governance geek, Zora. That's me. (laughs) So can you recommend a resource to the Take On Board community? Is there a book or a podcast or a TED Talk? Is there anything you'd like to recommend? I um, do like three, not necessarily just they're not really just about boards or anything like that. It's more about leadership. And one is, you know, the old faithful Simon Sinek's one, how great leaders inspire action. So really understanding your purpose, which I think is a really key thing. And purpose is one of those words that everyone is throwing about at the moment, but it's really understanding um, why the organisation exists and how everyone else connects to that and they're aligned to purpose in, in an organisation. There's another one by Angela Lee Duxworth, which is the power of passion and perseverance. So it's really about grit. Mm. And sometimes you really need to have that to succeed, to get through the various obstacles and challenges that are put forward and particularly crises that come up because sometimes those can really challenge you. And and as a board, you really need to be prepared for a crisis Mm -hmm. and have a crisis plan. And the last one is one that I'm listening to at the moment on Audible, uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm. So being a much more compassionate leader and one that's open to, you know, the opinion of others and respects people. Key leadership traits for people around that passion, grit and compassion. It's a beautiful Mm. little trio to have in there. So I'll make sure we put links to each of those in the show notes for this one as well. Zora, thank you so much for coming in today to have this conversation with us about risk and about being an effective board member, your experience at IABC, both at the local chapter and the regional chapter and the global chapter is incredible experience. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you very much. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.